So Hanukkah, if you are not familiar with the story, because it's really not in Scripture, it's in the Apocrypha, which are the extra books of, uh, that, that are in Catholicism in Maccabees 1 and 2. But uh, approximately 325 years before Yeshua, Alexander the Great conquered Syria and Egypt and Israel, and he allowed people under his control to, do, to continue to observe their own faith, their own religion. In fact, everything was so good that many Jews assimilated into the culture of what we would call Hellenism, adopting the customs, the dress, the language of the Greeks. <coughs> Sound familiar? Yeah, kind of looks like us. Most Christians, most Jews, even Messianic Jews, have assimilated into the American culture just like the Jews of that time. So the, then Antiochus IV came to power, and he began to oppress the Jews. He made it against the law to practice Judaism and had pigs sacrificed uh, in, on the altar in the temple. He even had Jews killed for practicing their faith. And Mattathias and his son Judah Maccabee and the brothers led a revolution. And even though they were greatly outnumbered, uh, after many tough battles, they won. So they went to the temple to rededicate uh, the temple and found that it was a mess. According to tradition, as recorded in the Talmud, which is the commentary of the rabbis. At that time of the rededication, there was only enough oil to light the temple menorah uh, for one night. And yet a miracle happened, and it burned for eight days. And thus we have Hanukkah, uh, the festival that remembers the miracle of the light. Now, the Hebrew word for Hanukkah, the Hebrew word Hanukkah means um, dedication. And so briefly, very briefly, I just want to mention what I would consider the themes of Hanukkah. Number one, deliverance, uh, both a physical and a spiritual deliverance. We're saved from sin spiritually. So... Um, Cleansing the temple reminds me of our body, mind, soul, spirit, that we have, uh, we are the temple for the Lord. And so we are to cleanse our temple. And thirdly, we are to dedicate ourselves to God. Fourth, we are to be a light, just like the shamas, when we lit the candles lit all the other candles, we are to receive light from Yeshua and light, in a sense, everybody else. They should receive our light, and, and the light should be uh, transferred throughout the city, state, country, and throughout the world. And finally, um, we are to be servants. The shamas means servant candle even though it is higher than the others, even though it gives the light to the others, it, as it gives the light, it serves the others. However, I'm going to focus a little differently. Whenever I think of Hanukkah, I've got to be honest with you, I do think of Hellenism, and I'll explain why in a minute. 
I want to talk about the sins that defile our temple. So, as I mentioned before, 1 Corinthians 3.16, don't you know that you are God's temple and that the Ruach Elohim dwells among you? So, though we're the temple of the living God, the question is, what do we do? What causes us to defile our temple? What causes, what sins are we involved in? What things do we do that hurt the Lord? So first of all, I'd like to define what doesn't even sound like a word. It sounds like a part, and, and the word is ism. I-S-M, ism. And Webster says, and I believe it's up there, a distinctive doctrine, cause, or theory. And then the second definition is an oppressive and especially discriminatory attitude or belief. So when you hear the word ism, it doesn't always go to the second definition. Sometimes it's just the first. It's a doctrine. But as we know about slippery slopes and we see where doctrines sometimes can take us, we realize that we can become legalistic and that will become oppressive. So we should take this definition seriously. Now, I'm obviously not referring to Judaism. However, Judaism has the potential to do just that. And I'm not saying patriotism is like that, but patriotism also can get that way because depending on the passion and what is involved in the people's heart when they believe what they believe. But when we start looking at this ism thing, uh, we have to understand that we are involved in spiritual war. And we don't see it, but it's there. And many of you know, years ago, I, I read and I've reread and, and I've audible listened to it, This Present Darkness. And that book was one of the books that really helped me desire to know more about the spiritual world. And if you've never read that book, it is a classic. You need to read it. Trust me. But all of this warfare comes under a broad category. And that broad category is do not have other gods before the one true God. And that's what happens with isms. They take over and become more important than God. So as we think about the Jewish people, in the time of what we called Hellenism, we'll see what they did that I don't think pleased God one bit. And so here are the four examples of isms we're going to talk about tonight. Hellenism, progressivism, relativism, and emotionalism. You ready? Okay. Hellenism. Hellenism means that you import 
a culture that is more important than the culture of God. So what I was saying before that is so dangerous in the United States is that like the Jewish people during this time, everything was so good. And so people turned away from God. And that happened to the Jewish people until warfare actually changed it. Well, we're in a similar situation. It's the reason why people don't come to services, and they'll say, oh, well, you don't have to worship God to, uh, you don't have to be in a synagogue to worship God or a church. Well, that's true, but we know that those people probably are not worshiping God. Some might, you know, I don't want to go there. The point is that we have an opportunity to make God our priority. And we can do a lot of good things that are not God things. And so many times in our American culture, there are things more important than God. It could be money, could be power. It could be fame. It just could be our time. All of our modern conveniences are part of our culture and have potential to defile our temple. Phones, our phones, <laughs> definitely, right? Facebook, TV, movies, they can distract us from our relationship with God. They heighten our desire to be entertained. And, you know, everybody wants to have fun. So even the singing of the Eight Nights of Hanukkah should, as an example, is, is part, in a sense, of a Hellenistic culture. And we have to be very, very careful that we don't fall into the same trap. Well, we've, I think we've already fallen there, actually. Um, our culture creates um, uh, situations that are more important than God. The you know, for instance, there are issues that we make more important than God. For instance, the environment is a religion to many people. Um, race is a religion to many people. The whole area of social injustice is a religion to people. I believe that oftentimes we get seduced by our culture. And so Hellenism is exactly that. Well, our secondism is progressivism. And we hear this all the time, all the time. It's importing the world's knowledge over God's wisdom and knowledge. We become more modern, more hip, more cool, more up-to-date. The world is saying to us, we're not up with the times. Everything we have done in the past is wrong, and the world has brought a greater enlightenment to the subject. 
Some believers have bought into this ideology. To the modern world, it makes sense to try out marriage before you actually get married. So, and if you think it works out, then you commit. Of course, some people go into marriage and treat it the same way. To the modern world, homosexuality is normal. Being transsexual is normal. And the world would say this is not a matter of choice. And deciding what gender you are. If you disagree with a progressive, they will make you out to be a villain or a hater. Progressives can act very mean-spirited. If you agree with them, everything's fine. And they will be very tolerant. But if you don't agree with them, then they will dismiss you. One of the characteristics of being progressive is, is that they say they're tolerant, except with people who are not progressive, from their point of view. They make the rules, which is why we go into the next one, which is relativism. Relativism is truth changes based on the times you live in. So the definition of sin is different in the first century from the 21st century. Adultery and homosexuality used to be crimes. People used to go to jail for those things. Various sexual crimes, uh, you know, the, the, they were against the law until the 21st century. Relativism leads to you, you to being your own God and deciding what truth is. So relativism doesn't have an authority. It can't accept the Bible because the Bible needs to be updated by modern society. Relativism has no problem changing history because they see it as making it more current for the times we're living in. And relativism is a redefining of truth, which makes no sense because in order to have truth, it can't change. Because truth is truth. It doesn't change from generation to generation. And that's why the word of God is so important to you and I, because that doesn't change. It is the truth. And that's why People who are relativisms or relativistic, I don't know, they cannot accept that because they feel that if you're not changing, you're not growing. Yet the growth is to receive the changes that God wants from us and our personality, not to just obtain more knowledge. But the application of the knowledge is so important. Number four, and I've picked four, but there are zillions of isms, by the way. Emotionalism. 
and that is so strong in the United States. Allowing our needs and desires to direct our speech and our actions. Because that's how we feel. It's a very self-centered behavior. A woman should have a choice about an abortion because of the way she feels. You don't have any right to tell a woman that she's killing her baby. It, because it's more important of how she feels. How often have you heard someone say, the God I serve wouldn't do that? Well, you know, I'm sorry, but God does make things somewhat uncomfortable at times. And uh, he did not. What she said was he didn't promise us a rose garden. Yeah. But he punishes. He judges. He allows bad things to happen to good people. He allows suffering into the world. However, the same people who get upset with those things will also get upset if we didn't have the freedom and God made us robots and just had to follow him. Now, one of the real dangers of emotionalism is seeing our children grow up in an emotional world. Because kids don't have respect. Because they see from the grown-ups, it's not about respect, it's about how you feel. So you have the right to choose somebody out because that's how you feel. And it might be a policeman. It might be somebody in authority, though really they shouldn't be chewing anybody out. But the point is, there's a lack of respect. This comes from allowing our emotions to rule rather than God. You know, we give everybody, all the kids a trophy, right? There, there is no more first, second, third. They all get the same. That's, that's why kids can choose their gender. Because it's based on feelings. When the world is ruled by emotions, one can do anything for any reason because it's based on how you feel. It's the reason why liberals are able to riot and conservatives are not. Because it's based on feeling. It's why the courts rule in favor of the emotional person, uh, then the, emo I'm sorry, the emotional person rejoices. But if they rule against the emotional person, then they use tyranny to change the ruling. The whole area of gender identity is about emotions. I love the quote by Abraham Joshua Herschel. I've said it before here. It's, it's a quote that we really should teach our children and, and really teach ourselves. Self-respect is the root of discipline. The sense of, our sense of dignity grows with the ability to say no to ourself.
I think this is really a key principle of God's word. Because not everything that God's word says, are we ready to say, oh yeah, hooray, yes, let me add it. So these attacks on our temples seem to be beneficial initially. Most of the uh, things, it, it, we talked a few weeks ago about temptation. And th this is the same thing. The attacks, uh, the, the things that we're doing, these, these, uh, they, they seem to make sense. I mean, it makes sense to be more modern. It makes sense to fit in into the melting pot of the United States. It makes f sense to, to allow these isms to take over your life because life is better that way. And it makes sense to not go by God because you can't see him anyway. This is how Hasatan captures people. This is Hanukkah is the feast of dedication. We 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 dedicate our lives to the Lord. The isms is the feast of self and is anti-God. And so we could go through lots of isms, whether it's socialism and communism and all these other isms. We have to understand that our key verse, as simple as it is, the one verse that all of us memorize the minute we become involved in scripture at all is trust in the Lord and lean not in all your ways, and he will direct your paths or make your paths straight, depending on which translation. So, but, but to really apply this word, these two verses to our heart, is extremely hard. Extremely hard. Trust in the Lord, Adonai, with all your heart. I mean, just stop there. That's hard. Lean not on your own understanding. Oh, you're saying my own common sense, I should forget it. Uh-huh. Yeah, well, if it goes against God's common sense, yeah. You know, but in our mind, that doesn't make sense. In all our ways, acknowledge him. Oh, that sounds a little uh, radical, doesn't it? <laughs> in all your ways, in all your ways, acknowledge him. I mean, that you, you don't have a life then. And he will make your path straight. People don't understand the beauty of following God. The beauty of being dedicated to the Lord, the, the sense that one has of fulfillment and purpose and wholeness by dedicating your lives to the Lord and not allowing the isms. You can recognize the isms, you can see the isms, you can partake in some of the isms, but you cannot allow them to overtake God in your life. And Hanukkah is a reminder of that.
the Jewish people were allowing everything to happen to them because life had been so great. And all of a sudden now when things got bad, they just didn't have enough passion in them to, to do anything about it. It took one family to turn around everybody else and say, we cannot do this. We have to go back to the Lord. And really, isn't, what, isn't the scripture all about those words? Return to the Lord. I mean, that's what scripture is about. No matter who it was, except for maybe Daniel, it was all about returning to the Lord, whether it was King David or Solomon or whomever. So these four defilements, you know, we just have to understand that they are just representing many defilements. These isms, they cause us to turn away from God. God wants us to dedicate our lives. So I have two scriptures for you to help you on this journey. And I think these are two really good scriptures for you to focus on. The first one is Galatians 5, 13 and 14. Brothers and sisters, you were called to freedom. Only do not let your freedom become an opportunity for the flesh. But through love, serve one another. Again, it's self versus God. And the godly thing to do is to serve others. The self wants to serve self. For the whole Torah can be summed up in a single saying, love your neighbor as yourself. The second scripture that I'm ending with is this, Philippians 2, 5 through 7. Have this attitude in yourselves, which also was in Messiah Yeshua, who though existing in the form of God, did not consider being equal to God a thing to be grasped. But he'd emptied himself taking on the form of a slave, becoming the likeness of men, and being found in appearance as a man. What does this look like when you empty yourself? When there's no more of yourself, there's no more uh, what, what I'd call bad pride. And now there's just humility. Because you have so much confidence and so much trust in God that you know that your self-worth is in him, which allows you to humble yourself and make sure that your life is about others and, and God rather than yourself. That's emptying yourself. Do this and follow Yeshua as his disciple. That is dedication. So. If there's anybody here or certainly on Facebook Live who has never received Yeshua as your Messiah, never fully dedicated your life to the Lord, Hanukkah means dedication, 
dedicate your life to the Lord by saying, I refuse to allow the isms to defile my temple. I'm sorry for my sins, God. Yeshua, I receive you into my heart. I dedicate my life to you. If somebody here or in, in uh, Facebook land has said those words, we want to give you a, a free gift, please contact us so we can get you a free gift to uh, really bless your journey with the Lord. And uh, so let's close in prayer. Father, I just thank you and praise you, Lord, for Hanukkah. Though it's not really a, a, a one of your holy days where you say we must celebrate it, there is such a tremendous opportunity to see you all throughout this holy day. Lord, you are the light to the world. You give your light to us to give to others. And Lord, you are a servant as you are the shamas, the servant candle. And so we thank you and praise you that you have taught us at this time that the one who is highest is the one who serves. And so, Lord, we pray now that our hearts would be so focused on you that we truly would be servants. It wouldn't be about us. It would be about you, Lord and what you've called us to do. Lord, we seek to be disciples. Help us to apply your word to our heart and to our mind so that people will see you in us. I praise you and thank you for this in the name of Yeshua. Amen.